Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia perfecta ex machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media, and focusing on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. On this episode, Matt Holder and Dr. Toby Bennis continue their conversation about the reacting to the past pedagogy in an English 1900 context. In part two, they turn to discussing the specific assignments and rhetorical principles at play in the game, as well as the game's strengths and limitations and potential adaptations for future classes. Dr. Bennis closes by providing some useful resources for any instructors looking to incorporate the games into their own courses. How do you conceive, speaking of rhetoric, I'm interested still in kind of, so they do a lot of oral speeches, which I think is, you know, at least in, when I teach 1900, like that's not really something that my students do unless they really choose to. Um, but here they're kind of forced to, they have to. And yeah. to be effective, right, they need to be dynamic with it. Otherwise, you're boring and you don't persuade anybody. Um, so can you talk more about how do the students respond or engage with the kind of speech giving um, that they had to do? Well, again, there is scaffolding that you can do for that earlier in the course. So one of the advantages of the reacting to the past website that you become a member of, if you're teaching them this way, they actually have six videos on there, very short, three or four minutes each, that talk in very specific terms about effective speaking. And so before we started playing the game, at the end of each class period, I would devote 15 minutes to watching one of the videos. There's one on eye contact. There's one on gestures. There's one on um, movement. There's one on pacing, fluency. Mm. So, And we, we went through. So we spent about 15 minutes of every class period in the first three weeks watching the video, and then I paired them up with a partner, and they would practice. Oh, okay. And it took up class time, but I think it did help them. Yeah. So, and so I said, so this is the kind of thing when you're giving your speech, you need to attend to. Um, Invariably, some of them did better than others. But I also think (laughs) there's something to be said for having that experience of having to give some speeches. Yeah. um, Because the transferability of that skill you know, I mean, if, even if you're just talking about saying like. Mm-hmm. So I kept on em- emphasizing to them that this is the kind of ability that's going to help you in other courses, in other majors. It's going to help you get a job. It's going to help you be taken seriously and not sound like a high school student. Mm-hmm. Right. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So they're doing the writing and they're doing the speaking. Um do you, did you see other types of kind of rhetoric playing out? Like, um, so as far as, you know, trying to win people over, trying to persuade people to the other side, did the students do anything other than the writing and the, and the speaking? Were there things going on either during the class or maybe outside of class that you were aware of? Well, there were some deals that were struck um, under the table, which the game encourages. Right. So I only found out afterwards about some things that they had all agreed on, which explained some of the (laughs) bewildering votes that happened. 
Um, the other thing that they do, at least as part of the game that I used, is every week, so they're supposed to write a, a, you know, a short paper, and then every week the factions, the groups, are supposed to compile these into a faction newspaper, and that's a collaborative project. Okay. And so, and the faction newspapers, they bring them to class, and we spend about 10 minutes of each class reading the faction newspaper. And they can incorporate um, essays from other players that aren't even in their group if they want to. Right, okay. Um, to sort of, again, try to sort of reach across and... Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which works sometimes. Yeah. No, it's interesting um, because, you know, part of the Disoid Logoi model, I guess, or the idea behind it is this idea of exploring kind of multiple sides of an issue. And so... And when I think of the game, I see that kind of being played out in a really kind of dynamic way Um, because you have these two opposing forces and a moderate side. And so you're you're role playing the disorder logo in a way, which I think is interesting. Um, Is that something that you kind of thought about going into it or? It, no, it's it definitely is. Is you're right. It, it sort of is a an embodiment of that idea of disputation orally. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in terms of writing, one of the things that I told them they had to do in each of their written assignments as characters was they had to have a section where they took into account the other side, explained the opposition in a way that was respectful, right, and then articulate why their position is still valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they didn't do that in their individual assignments, obviously that affected their scores. Right. Okay. All right. So obviously, I mean, there's so much more I could talk about, but just in closing, some final questions. What would you say are the game's limitations, particularly in a first year writing context? And then what are its strengths in that same context? Um, I think that the limitations are partly that they don't have a lot of knowledge about history, um, which is in a way a, a good thing. I mean, they're not here to just learn what they already know. They're here right. to learn new things. But I think that can be a challenge. Um, and again, I don't know whether a new, a different game might help. There's also a game on the Rwanda genocide, which might be mm-hmm. really helpful in this context. Um but I do think it, it energized them in a way that I don't know that they would have been energized, you know. And it, it enabled at the beginning when they, none of them knew each other. Right, yeah. You know, it created a kind of class dynamic. Um, and to some extent, even after the game was over, the same people who were mm-hmm. in factions continued to sit together. Yeah. Which was interesting. Um, and I know in some cases, instructors say, you should break them up. You should yeah. say they can't sit together anymore. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that. But they do still kind of relate to the people that they were involved with during the game. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I remember getting, so, I mean, the game kind of demands that you get really close to the people. Because if you don't coordinate as a group, then you, you fail, really. Um and even, you know, I find I found that when I was doing it, I don't know, doing the role-playing thing, something kind of switches in your head, and uh, you just have a certain respect for kind of everybody in the classroom in a different way. Um, you respect what they're doing, and 
even though you're like intensely disagreeing with them over matters that, you know, could be life and death, you're still, there's a kind of camaraderie in the classroom, I think, that's really interesting. They're, they tend to be pretty supportive of each other, which is interesting, um, even as they can also be extremely critical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. I have heard, you know, horror stories about some people get, you know, leave the classroom in tears and, you know, real, I mean, it does, it can get really personal. I, I, I can see that, um, or backstabbing, you know, betraying somebody. Uh, well, and also arguing for positions that they really find anathema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the questions in the French Revolution game is slavery in the French colonies. Mm-hmm. And there are characters in the game who are supposed to be arguing that slavery should continue. Right. Either for economic reasons, mostly economic reasons, actually. And that was really hard for some of them. Yeah. So, you know, especially people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you say, well, this is, you know, it's. It's helpful to understand the mindset of people that you're opposing. Yeah. But that really rubbed a couple of them the wrong way, which mm-hmm. I understood. Yeah. Yeah. I did the, uh, I also did the American Revolution, and that's something similar is going on. So uh, not only are there kind of debates about, um, you know, whether or not the colonies have a right to rebel, um, but there's, yeah, ideas of, slavery mixed in there and what happens when we're free or you know slaves will be in the crowd or people playing slaves and they have opportunities to stand up and say you talk about freedom or whatever but you know here we are and all those things so it can create and i and i have been in i did have a teacher one time put certain limitations on what could be said or done in certain contexts like we're not doing this we're not going here we're not doing you know um just the kind of just nip that in the bud before it gets way out of hand. Um, so did the students, would you say they embrace the curriculum? And I'm interested, do they do anything really surprising, like um, things that you had never maybe thought they might do before, some assignment or some speech or some other thing that uh, really kind of embodied the game spirit? Well, some of the newspapers I thought were really well executed. And I was surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been. Um, but, you know, they they came up with kind of story angles and visuals and in terms of putting together a document that, you know, a text that had a certain visual flair okay. that I wouldn't have expected necessarily. Maybe that's naive on my part because visual, they're so comfortable with visual media. Yeah. Um, so some of the newspapers were really surprisingly good, I thought. Um, and in the end, I mean, it was also interesting to see how one of my students actually said this to me, how at the beginning they were fairly tentative mm-hmm. about voicing a specific view or interrupting each other or taking control of a situation. And by the end, some of them especially had really gotten much better about organizing things and basically running a meeting. Okay. You know, which as a department chair, I yeah. think about a lot. So, you know, sort of getting people to shut up if they're mm-hmm. being rude and, you know, controlling the sort of time that people have for the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, the president of the National Assembly and a couple of other people by the end of the of the sessions were really I think they learned a lot about running organizations actually. 
That's really interesting. I mean, there is a certain, I guess, like agency, I think that becomes unlocked when you realize that, um, you know, cause we're timid and we don't want to interrupt or be rude. But in this context, you know, when you're doing the role play, you suddenly that becomes empowering. Like you have that ability to tell people to shut up that we're on this task. You know, you are past your time. You need to sit down. Um, and they, I mean, they would look, you know, initially they didn't do it up for long, but the first couple of conflicts they looked to me because I'm sitting in the back and I said I this is up to you right don't look to me to solve this problem for you yeah which took them some getting used to yeah (laughs) but they figured it out no that's interesting I mean could you talk about your role once the game started sort of what you were doing the whole time I was sitting in the back um and the, the 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 delegates of the assembly all sit kind of in a circle um, with the president at the, you know, podium. And I just sat in the back and kept track of speech counts. I evaluated speeches as they were being made and gave, you know, to provide feedback. And I did occasionally when something was, when a group or an individual wasn't really addressing the key point in a way that they should have been, I would pass them notes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a big, it's, I mean, it's kind of charmingly old fashioned now. Yeah. But I would, you know, I told them you can pass each other notes. You don't have to listen if somebody's talking, mm-hmm. if you want to speak quietly to somebody else at, on the side. And I was doing that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, there would be a, a thing that would come up, a topic that would come up. And one of the groups wouldn't be saying anything. And I would write them a note and say, this is something that you should get upset yeah. about. Yeah, you would not be okay with <laughs> Right, <this. laughs> you would not be okay with this. And so, you know, get with it. Mm-hmm. And then they would, like, oh, right, you're right. My character wouldn't be okay with this. So it was mostly kind of a coach and a cheerleader role. But in general, my goal was to say as little as possible. Right, yeah. I mean, it is to its to its core, a very student-centered um, form of pedagogy in Absolutely. the sense that it's entirely, which is both, you know, I guess a strength and a potential downfall depending on, you know, the students and how engaged they become. Uh, so with that in mind, would you use this again? And if so, are there any changes you would make? I would definitely do it again. The next time I teach 1900, I will definitely do it again. In fact, this makes me want to teach 1900 again soon. So because I I think it would be hard to use this in some of the classes I've traditionally taught. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could. Um, So I would definitely use it again because it was just, it was so interesting as an instructor. It was so different than any class I've ever taught. Okay. Um, the what I probably would do again is consider the game that I choose, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I think maybe I started out this time. I started with the game, which took about the first half or two thirds even of the course. Maybe it's better to finish with the game. I'm not sure. I have to think yeah. about that. Kind of grafting the writing requirements of the syllabus for 1900 onto this curriculum is a little tricky. Mm. And I tried to do it, but I think I probably could do more. So I'd have to think about that. Yeah. No, it is tricky, I think, knowing how to fit it in. So when I did it, I was doing it as a history undergraduate in history courses. So it was a totally different kind of dynamic. So we would spend like eight weeks, um, you know, 
doing the traditional class stuff. Like, here's the period, here's what's going on. And then we would dive into the game. Um, but, and then I also sat in on, I was a TA for a teacher that did it for a, uh, like a required history class, like a, a core, you know, and played it with them. And it's, it's wildly different in terms of, um, how much prep needs to go into it and, you know, the directions of the game, um, because the students aren't history majors, they're not, um, but they do still, I've never experienced one where people didn't get really engaged, which I think is why a lot of people seem to really like it. It's just the students are doing things they they would never do before or otherwise. Um, I mean, I know I did things. I was desperate to win. I was desperate to be impressive in my speeches, and I would go out of my way to find sources that people would use, um, which... Uh, yeah, and I, and I was not the only one. I mean, everybody was really getting into it. Um, so would you say, just to close, um, do you think your students really ultimately enjoyed or appreciated the experience? And uh, did you really enjoy doing this? I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. I mean, I, well, I've already said, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, Waiting to see what my class evaluations look like. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what they will say about it. She I made think, us do this role-playing game. It's weird. <laughs> I think there might be some of that yeah. in the evaluations. Um, some of them have told me they really liked it. Okay. So at the end of the last game session, some of them asked if they could take their name tags. Oh. So because I had made little name tags with the character names and a picture of the actual historical oh, figure. Very cool. And they clipped them on every class when they walked in so people could remember who they were and so forth. Yeah. Um, so some of them actually took their name badges with them, which was charming. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I hope... I guess I figure, you know, go big or go home. You won't... You, yeah. You, know, you won't... Yeah. They weren't bored... There you go. Um, they might have been disoriented. Uh, they might have been uh, confused at times. But, you know, it's not a, I don't think it's a bad introduction to yeah. college. <laughs> that just sounds like good pedagogy. Disoriented, confused, not bored, though. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd want to say in closing um, to anybody listening about it? Or uh, do you feel like you've said everything you'd want to say the only other thing i'd mention is that if anybody's interested in using this they do have an excellent website right mm -hmm. um that you can look at and you can see this the choice of games there's everything there from um a game about christopher marlowe and the elizabethan period to the american revolution to right. you know the, again the rwanda yeah. genocide there's a real range of material. Um, so, and the, the community, there's also a Facebook page um, okay. called Reacting Faculty Lounge, which is extremely helpful. Okay. People are always posting questions, and faculty that have used this many times, the system, are very helpful about providing you with ideas and suggestions. And if you did something and you think it really didn't go well, they will, you know, come in and hold your hand and mm -hmm. make you feel as if, you know, there's still hope for the future. Yeah. So it's a very supportive um, pedagogical community. Okay. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, 
Again, I'm Matt Holder, and I was here with Toby Venice to talk about her use of reacting to the past in English 1900s. Thank you for listening. Thank you. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me, Nathaniel Rivers, at nathaniel.rivers at slu.edu. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina.